Happy Mother's Day, all the moms, <laughs> and my wife. <laughs> um, Matthew 5:27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Thank you very much, Charles. Um, we will now go over to the sermon, the theme, um, and the Jesus and the Kingdom of Heaven, and we ask um, John to come and read for us. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Put it there, maybe. Let me pray for us uh, before we go more into this uh, passage and topic. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we delve deeper into your word that the word that has been read to us uh, will come into our hearts, that it might change us and encourage us and build us up to be people who love your son and serve him. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Now, um, a couple of years ago, there was some, what I find fascinating, studies done um, that showed that there was a particular category of, uh, of people, a particular demographic, um, that was significantly more sexually satisfied than other people. Right? So that's, that's kind of something that's quite stunning, that, that a particular category of people that stands out through multiple studies of being uh, more sexually satisfied. And I'm going to talk about that category and a little bit more about that um, in about 20 minutes' time. But for the moment we might ask, why, why would I start by talking about that? Why would I mention that at the start, sexual satisfaction at all? Because isn't our topic adultery? And, of course, that is our topic. We are uh, talking about adultery. But it's worth taking time at the start to stop and recognise that while adultery is talking about um, sex done wrongly, we need to acknowledge that sexual intimacy is part of God's good creation and that we, as Christians, celebrate it. We're not anti-sex, Okay, we're anti-sex being used uh, in incorrect ways. It's also worth noting from the outset that this is um, an intensely personal subject um, and we, we come to it with many different experiences. Uh, we come to it in different circumstances. Some of us are married and some of us aren't. Um, some of us have... Uh, look... Before I say this next sentence, I should should say that we've been coming for a couple of weeks. I don't know anybody here, but um, it it would be foolish of me to speak to you as if... 
I guess that's just part of Armadale. It would be foolish to me to come uh, here and speak to you as if uh, nobody has been affected by adultery. Okay? Uh, There might be people here who have committed adultery. There may be people who have been negatively affected by that. Um, We come from different places. There will be people who um, perhaps have experienced forms of sexual abuse and have not had um, that satisfying experience that I mentioned at the outset. And that's kind of worth um, acknowledging. Um, And it's worth saying at at the outset that please know that there is no experience that you've had or that you come with that cannot be redeemed in Christ. There is nothing um, that we've experienced that cannot be turned backwards and made good by Jesus Christ in this life or the next. And that's something that no matter where you come from on this, I can promise you, I can promise you that that's going to be fixed in eternity. There is also nothing that you have done that we're talking about today that cannot be forgiven through the sacrifice that Jesus has already made. So, what we do today then is to kind of delve into this and grow through it that we might uh, be servants of Christ. Now, at this point uh, in Jesus' teaching, um, he turns to the topic of adultery. And this is the second, but I tell you, kind of passage. There's six of them in a row. uh, Passages where Jesus takes the law and shows its true intention. And this all goes back to verse 20. Uh, which I know you've looked at already. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that seems like an incredibly high bar for most of us. Um, But it turns out that the issue is one of the heart. We can keep the law or not keep the law, but the issue is what is going on in our thoughts and intentions. Now, to understand that, we need to get into this passage, and to do that, we're going to break the passage into two halves. Uh, We're going to talk about the first two verses, uh, which kind of define what we're talking about here, and then we're going to kind of look at the second two verses, uh, which really kind of drive home the importance of this issue. And then we're going to take a little bit of time to think about how this topic interacts with our culture, and then how to respond to that as Christians. So let's start with uh, verses 27 and 28. Um, And when Jesus says, uh, you shall not commit adultery, he's referring to the seventh commandment. In fact, it's just word for word as it it comes through. Um, So that's where they've heard it said. He says, you have heard it said. That's where they heard it said in the Ten Commandments. And the meaning of adultery is to have sex with somebody who is married, so to have sex with, you're single, you have sex with somebody who is married, or to be married and have sex with somebody other than the person that you're married to. Then in verse 28 we have, but I tell you, and here is where Jesus brings the law into the full. And that's what he said he was going to do in verse 17. So he's filling the law, if you like, bringing it to its full amount. 
And he says that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that word lustfully there in this context means to have sexual desire for someone. Um, Desire meaning that you want that thing. And so to look at somebody who you're not married to and desire to have them, uh, that is to commit heart adultery. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody who's read the law. Okay, so um, kind of worth doing that if you kind of keep your finger where you are and turn back. I just said it was from the Ten Commandments. So let's turn back to Exodus chapter 20, which is the first place the Ten Commandments appear. So Exodus chapter, I'm just doing a very slow flip of pages here, chapter 20. And uh, you see there, verse 14, pretty straightforward, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that's what we have. But then have a look down at verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Well, hang on a minute. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has been talking about here? In fact, the word that he uses about desire or lust there, it's actually the same word that was used in the Greek translation in Jesus' day for the word in the Ten Commandments. So what Jesus has done really shouldn't surprise anybody. What he's done is he's taken the Tenth Commandment and he's just applied that to the seventh commandment. Okay, we, uh, we mustn't desire or want or plot to get something that isn't ours. And in this case, you mustn't desire sex with somebody who is not your husband and wife. Now, uh, in saying this, we need to make a number of clarifications because uh, I would imagine that that kind of raises a whole lot of questions for you. And what I'm going to try and do is answer what I think are um, the four most likely questions that you might ask to define exactly what Jesus is talking about. You might have more questions and you are welcome to ask me those later. Um, The first thing uh, you might ask is, does this mean that committing adultery in your heart is as bad as actually committing adultery, okay? And the answer to that, shockingly to some people, is no. Okay, there are actually degrees of sin. Now, you need to listen to this very carefully. All sin leads to hell. All sin is sin. All sin will have us condemned. But there are degrees of sin within sin, And it is worse, it is far worse to go through with adultery than to imagine it. And that's kind of really important to mention because otherwise you could use the logic that you may as well just go ahead and do it because it's all the same to God if you had plotted it in your mind. And of course, that would be far more hurtful to the people involved and far more offensive to God 
than had you just plotted it in your mind. But uh, just because it's a lesser scene, a lesser sin, it doesn't mean that it's you know, that it's okay. That we're saying, well, you know, it's not that bad. Let's kind of go in for it. Jesus's whole point here, his whole point of what he's going to get across to us, is that this is not a fifty percent pass mark. He's talking about building a kingdom of righteousness, of people who thirst for righteousness. He's talking about righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Righteousness that comes from the heart, that doesn't quibble over which is a worse sin, but strives for absolute righteousness in our lives. So let's do that. Let's be a community of people who strives for righteousness. We're not going to be perfectly righteous And in the end, every single one of us is going to need the righteousness of Jesus on the last day. Our own will not be good enough. But if we take Jesus seriously, if we see him as Lord, then we need to be following him with our hearts. The second question that you might ask is, where's the line? Right? When have I slipped into adultery in the heart? Or you could ask uh, the same question kind of differently by saying, can I look at a woman and see that she's pretty? Can I look at a man and see that he's handsome? In, In other words, is attraction sin? And the answer is, well, no, it isn't. Okay, we can look at a sunset or we can look at a kitten and see that they are beautiful and praise God for them. In the same way, there is nothing in itself wrong with seeing other people and seeing that they're attractive. And even it's nothing wrong in having an opinion that some people are particularly attractive. Um, Sarah... Rebecca, Rachel, um, Esther and many other women in the Old Testament are noted for their physical beauty, as are Joseph, David and Daniel. There's nothing wrong with seeing people, seeing them as attractive and praising God for it. But, and this is the problem, right? Us humans have very sneaky minds. And it doesn't take much for us to go from thinking that is beautiful to thinking that is beautiful and I want that for me. And that's where the problem lies. Once you've crossed over from seeing that something is beautiful, to imagining it and wanting to hold that beauty, then you're in sin. A third question might be, well, what about the person being looked at? Or am I sinning if somebody else finds me attractive? And the answer to that is a little bit tricky, but in short, the answer is no. If you look at the passage, in the passage, the responsibility for the lust is on the person doing the lusting. You are not responsible for somebody desiring you, providing that you have done nothing 
deliberately to encourage that. Okay? Um, you've done nothing deliberately to provoke that. It is not your fault. The responsibility is on the person to control their own desire, imaginations and thoughts. However, out of love for each other, um, we don't want to do anything kind of deliberately. We don't want to do anything proactively that might cause desire in other people. Um, so we should remember that out of love. Um, and we should also remember Peter's words uh, when Peter says that, he's speaking particularly about women, but it could apply uh, either way, especially to these days, um, that we shouldn't think of our beauty in terms of outward adornment, um, but in terms of our inner qualities. So that is the kind of beauty that we want to build within ourselves that can never uh, lead to sin. And the last question I'll raise is, um, it, what about other sexual sins? Um, and what about pornography? How does that fit in with what Jesus is saying? Well, Jesus is specifically talking about adultery, and he's, he's doing that. As he does that, he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, as I said. And uh, the Ten Commandments are kind of Ten Commandments which have the entire law behind them. Okay, so they represent the law, uh, and yet there's all this other kind of material that stands behind them. So, yes, we should consider that this is representative as adultery, but would equally apply to all sexual sins. Uh, it would be going against the entire spirit of what Jesus is saying if we didn't say that. His, his point is that we should be following things with our heart. If we were to be litigious and say, oh no, it only applies to adultery and, and not other sexual sins, that would kind of fly in the face of what's going on here. So whether you desire sex with a person while you're married or with somebody before you're married or with somebody of the same sex or with a minor or with a member of your family, as soon as you cross that line from seeing that that person is attractive to imagining having that thing and plotting how to get it, then you are guilty of sexual sin in your heart. And pornography is a cultivator of that sin in all its forms. Pornography is there deliberately to arouse desires that are not godly and to glorify what is sin. Pornography will destroy your soul it will destroy your mental health and it will destroy your marriage. And if you're unable to stop yourself going to it, please get help. I know that there's a fair amount of shame in that space for Christians, uh, admitting it's an area that they need help in, but it is an addiction just like any other addiction and it can be helped. So feel free um, to talk to me about that. A really good place to start is to talk to your pastor. Uh, if you're a woman and you don't want to talk to a man about that, uh, go to a godly woman. If you're unsure who to go to, you could probably talk to Michael about who to go to without actually really kind of saying what the issue is and I think he would be able to point you in a good direction. And if you need prodding in the right direction then we need to get back to our passage because Jesus gives us that stern warning that we need in verses 29 and 30. Uh, and this 
these kind of second two verses show us how important this issue is. So Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Likewise, it would be better to lose that than the whole be thrown into hell. Now, just to be clear, Jesus isn't being literal here. Uh, Firstly, that would uh, unnecessarily um, deface God's good creation. And secondly, uh, just like think about this literally, if you literally take your right eye out, that actually doesn't stop you sinning with your left eye at all, right? He's not actually being literal, but what he's doing is saying that we need to take extreme measures in this area. And he's doing that by this kind of almost extreme use of language. It's enough to say that if your eye is causing you to sin, you should tear it out. That would be enough. Like, that people get a bit squeamish, I know. But like, it would be enough to tear your eye out, right? That's radical behaviour. But then it says, and throw it away. Like... As if it's like a dirty thing that you have to like get away, like take it out that and throw it away. Uh, that's like me changing a nappy, right? You don't leave the nappy in the middle of the lounge room. Not that I've done that for a couple of years. I mean, change a nappy, not leave it in the lounge room. That's all I've been told. Okay, and it's not just sin. Uh, that Jesus is talking about. It's not just your sin that you're throwing away from you, but anything that can cause you to sin. Okay, so whether that's a website or whether that's having lunch with somebody at work um, that's unhelpful, then we need to wipe these things off our shoe like something that the dog left at the park. And to add to that, it says that it's better to lose one part of your body, right? It's better to take extreme action, even... Whatever that action is, even if that action is getting help, it is better to do that than to get thrown into hell. And notice the parallel between you throwing this body part away and being thrown into hell. So the word that uh, Jesus used, that everybody used for hell in Jesus' day, was the literal name of the rubbish dump outside of Jerusalem. All right, So it's better for you to take your body and chuck it on a worldly garbage dump than for God to take you and literally chuck you on the eternal garbage dump of hell. And you might say, hang on, back your truck up, preacher. I thought I was saved through my faith. Well, that is true, but part of our faith is taking Jesus as our Lord. Okay, And the emphasis of the passage is on us pursuing righteousness in Christ. We know, as I said before, we don't achieve that perfectly, um, that we depend on Jesus' righteousness. Um, But if we're people who don't thirst for righteousness, if we're people who keep these things close, who keep dabbling in our own sin then we do not have faith in the real Jesus. All right, notice that I didn't say that we don't have faith if we struggle. That's not what I said. We all struggle. 
okay? The problem comes when we stop struggling and keep that sin close to us, and that's what we're talking about here. When we allow attraction to become coveting and that coveting to become a fantasy, however fictitious that you think that fantasy might be. And we need Jesus to warn us because our entire culture is stacked against us in this area. Um, If you think about watching TV and films, the plots of TV, the plots of films position us as an audience in a way that that encourage us, encourage us to be glad when we see sexual sin. Okay, so sex in television is how we rate love. We want that person to be fulfilled, this character that we're kind of rooting for. We want them to find love. So when they have sex with this person, oh, you know, that's the moment in the television. We're positioned by our culture to be glad for things that we shouldn't be glad for. Uh, Songs Delight in Adultery. Uh, Rihanna's song, Unfaithful, explores how she would like to do right, but she's driven by her desires to do wrong. Okay, it it has, uh, I don't know if people listen to Rihanna or, you know, these days or know that song, Unfaithful. It's got a catchy tune, poetry, decent poetry, uh, music clip, high kind of production values. Uh, You can easily miss the fact that it's helping you to identify with the feeling of giving in to desires and continuing in your sin, which is what she's saying she's doing in the song. And if you look at kind of songs, popular music, like just as a whole, like even not honing in on one kind of song, the whole picture of music is, is promoting this kind of cycle of relationships okay this kind of cycle of firstly wild satisfying love and then heartbreak so you've got all your heartbreak songs and then your songs about finding inner strength and you grow through your tragedy like everything that Adele wrote and then you're ready to love again and then we fall back into the cycle Okay, and it gives us the impression that that's the normal life, that life is this kind of series of relationships that we fall into and then recover from. And that pollutes our minds. And then beyond kind of specific songs and films, um, the whole premise of our culture is this unrelenting pursuit of personal happiness. Okay, I'll say that again. Our culture is based on an unrelenting pursuit of personal happiness. So we used to say, as long as you've got your health, all right, which was always, like, that's what we used to say. It was always a dumb thing to say because eventually you won't have your health. So what then, right? That's a silly mantra to live by. But we've gone one worse and now we say, as long as you're happy, all right? And if you follow that mantra, then one day it actually is going to make sense to commit adultery. Right? Maybe. Okay? Because marriage doesn't always feel good. All right? And one day there might appear to be something that will make you happier than your marriage. And then you get to believing that there's a hole in you 
that just needs to be filled, right? And that's what our that's what our society says. So Michael Jackson has a song. So picking on Michael Jackson. So I wasn't just picking on two thousands music, uh, going back to the eighties. So if you're my age, you either grew up with Michael Jackson or you grew up not being allowed to listen to Michael Jackson. I was in the second category, but we had neighbours. So Michael Jackson's song, Girlfriend, uh, which is about cheating, another like beautiful, catchy tune, bopping about. He says, love just can't be denied. And that's what we believe, isn't it? We just cannot deny our feelings. So what are we going to do? All right, how do we combat this kind of deluge of cultural influence that comes at us? And the answer is to fill yourself with a different worldview and to hear a different narrative. And I have four suggestions uh, about how to go about that other than just reading and rereading this passage again. So four things. Firstly, know that God's plan is good. Okay, Know that God has a good plan. So this leads us back to that um, research that I was talking about before. So in, at the end of 2019, there came out two different studies. The same research has been repeated uh, since that and showed the same thing, showing that there's a particular demographic that is uh, more rates more highly sexually satisfied than any other and that is religiously engaged people okay um and uh in in fact one of the studies say i mean statistics are very hard and you know how you kind of read them and put these things together one of them showed that in the very top category those who picked the very top category of satisfaction uh men were, religious men were four times more likely to tick that than their non-religious counterparts. And that's stunning, right? Women were twice as likely to tick that highest box. But across all the categories and all the boards, it was very clear that people were more satisfied uh, who were engaged. And that was kind of really interesting. Um, in 2000, 2019 was kind of an interesting year for marriage and research, uh, there'd been something that came out earlier in that year that kind of said the opposite. It was kind of saying that um, people, people, religious people were more likely to suffer abuse in their marriage, uh, which would be kind of the opposite in a way. Um, but what the first survey didn't look at and what was really interesting about the, the work that got done later in the year was that they actually started to not look at religious as this kind of blanket category, but to look at religious in terms of actual engagement. And what they discovered is that people who are just kind of religious, like they would tick the box at like, yeah, I got it, you know, whatever, but weren't actually engaged, they actually had poorer outcomes. Okay? So those people might be using religion as a kind of a blanket, as an excuse um, to do wrong. They're not really understanding what, what they're engaged with. But, but they found that the, the, this is kind of... I'm not saying this to manipulate people into to doing church and getting into activities or something like that, 
but the most satisfied people were the most engaged. So engaged was talking about people who regularly went to services, did Bible studies, uh, prayed with their wife or family. It's kind of activities that they started to rate that. Uh, And um, I should say two things about that. The first thing is um, that's not a magic formula, right? Okay? It's not like God's giving you some, you know, like you turn up at church and God's giving you some kind of bonus blessing in the bedroom. (laughs) What it's saying is, uh, and and it may not be your experience. I mean, that's that's the problem with statistics, isn't it? You know, it says that 80% of people do this or whatever uh, or experience this. And it's, oh, well, that sounds overwhelming. I should be too. Well, there actually are 20% of people who, you know, don't, you know, whatever the statistic is. Statistics don't tell your story, okay? Um, and that's okay. Um, and that's something that you can talk to a pastor um, and get help with. The second thing I should say is that this, none of this should surprise us. It's kind of nice when you get like a seven and you think, hey, you know, that's what I kind of always thought, you know, and somebody scientific has just proved that for you, so you listen to that one. But that shouldn't surprise us at all, shouldn't it? It shouldn't surprise us that the person who <coughs> invented sexual intimacy would best understand how to use it. That shouldn't understand us. The creator of all the earth should obviously know how to be, take most joy, most contentment, most satisfaction in life. So that's the first one. Know that God's plan is good. He's the creator. He knows what he's doing. Number two, think beyond yourself. So this kind of contradicts my, my point just now, right? It's just not all about your satisfaction. That sexual satisfaction that came about in that survey is a byproduct of who those people are and what's going on in the rest of their life, okay? It, our culture will tell you that it's all about you it's all about your satisfaction and it's all about your happiness. But Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. All right? That's what religion is about. That's what seeking true Christianity is. It's a denial of myself. When we think about Christian marriage, Christian marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. That automatically turns it into something that is beyond us, something that is not focused on me. So as we kind of look at that model, it's not focused on me because Christ serves his church, all right? So I'm not focused on me, but I'm focused on somebody else. Uh, The church submits to Christ. The church isn't focused on itself. It's focused on Christ. So you're outwardly focused and your, your, um, your marriage isn't all about you and your marriage and its satisfaction, but it is a picture to the world of, of Christ and the church. It is beyond you. It is part of a bigger story and a bigger picture that you are a part of. So know that God's plan is good. Think beyond yourself. Guard your eyes and heart, right? Number three is guard your eyes and heart. Okay, we've seen... Uh, that Jesus says we should take extreme measures to, in, uh, to avoid coveting um, and to get away from sexual sin. So go away and do that, right? Whatever it is in your life, 
whatever's going to help you. Control your internet. Put controls on there that will help you. Give your spouses and your parents access to your phones and computers. Don't hide things in the dark. Don't meet with people that are unhelpful to you. Do whatever's needed. Guard your hearts and minds. So number one was uh, know that God's plan is good. Think beyond yourself. Guard your eyes and heart. And number four, pray for God's help. Okay? So just to kind of take us back to the passage, this is the last little thing to mention. If we think back to the passage and Jesus talking about our hearts. Okay, that's what he's kind of focusing on here, where our hearts are at. And if we think about that in the Bible, what he's doing is using new covenant language. So he's thinking back to passages like Ezekiel 36, okay, where God says that he's going to take away the people's heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then he says, I will, put my, I will put my spirit in you, right? I will put my spirit in you, and, or in them, talking about his people, and move them to follow my commands. So how can we actually achieve such righteousness, uh, such, such a, a lofty goal? And the answer to that is that God can do it, Okay. Law following in itself, whipping ourselves harder and harder, will not get us there. But with God's help, with God's change of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can uh, overcome sin. And the way, the only real way that we can do that is to ask God to work in us, to pray to God, to work in us by his Spirit to change our hearts, to take them away from sinful, cold, stone hearts and make them warm, fleshy, loving, Christ-like hearts. So let me pray that that happens. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for your word that it can guide us. We pray particularly that you fill us with your spirit, that you might change us, that we might uh, be people who are kept from sin, particularly in the area of sexual sin. We pray that you keep us from all sexual sin and even desiring things that are wrong in our hearts. We pray that you work in us that this might come about. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.